big fan of the South African team being in the European Cup. Trick is in the name. You can see that one part doesn't fit into the other. I do think they've brought a huge amount of style and some fantastic rugby to Subscribe it. to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Welcome along to Sunday's Off the Ball, a very important game for Manchester United ahead of the FA Cup semi-finals when they go up against the Nottingham Forest team who have been in free fall. Kenny Cunningham, former Ireland captain, will be alongside Nathan Murphy for that one in just under an hour's time. The leaders, Arsenal, who have had the pressure put on them by Man City's victory against Leicester last evening, they go to West Ham. It's been a very favourable hunting ground for the Gunners over the years. Stephen Doyle will be alongside Brian Kerr for that one and Conan Doherty and Jason Byrne will be looking back in the Sunday papers a little bit later on in the programme. Delighted to say that we've got Amory Donlan with us. How are you, Amory? Hi, well. And we've also got Aidan Delaney as well. Aidan, how are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. And yourself? Um, I'm good. Uh, Erling Haaland again, smashing records and again, perhaps being frustrated by Pep Guardiola taking him off early. I'm sure there's part of Haaland that goes, you know what, I'm two goals behind the Premier League record mm-hmm. here, which is held by Andy Cole and Alan Shearer. There's another hat-trick there for the taking with the way that I'm playing against Leicester and you've given me the hook to rest me for a tie that looks over midweek against Bayern Munich. Yeah, I guess it's maybe Pep Guardiola is having those kind of flashbacks to, you know, games that they've thrown away in Europe before and he just wants to be extra, extra sure. I mean, Erling Haaland is going to be a little upset to be hooked in a game of that magnitude. But listen, it's it's a case of if not, or it's a case of when, not if he breaks that record. So if he has to wait another week, I don't think that's going to be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, maybe he's looking at Dixie Dean's record maybe, as opposed possibly. to looking at the record for the 38 games at this stage. And again, it's uh, something we've looked at a little bit later on on the Sunday papers. But David Walsh, also writing this weekend about the fact that Erling Haaland is actually not an overly selfish striker because he could have taken the shot on for that Bernardo Silva goal midweek, but Haaland got his head up and played it across. This isn't just a man who scores 49 goals a season. No, absolutely. And I think we saw that a little bit at Dortmund as well. I remember him kind of being, you know, put forward as, you know, Mbappe is the kind of the ruthless kind of killer, whereas Erling Haaland is a bit more of a cerebral kind of attacker, can bring other players in. And especially when you look at the kind of the big attackers for the last couple of years, that's always been the kind of battle between Messi and Ronaldo as well. Messi is a bit more of a creator, will actually allow himself to to get other players into the play and kind of be that assister as well whereas Ronaldo was I'm Ronaldo and I'm going to focus on how many goals I can score and it's something I think I think it was Graham Hunter pointed out during the week that you know Karim Benzema was basically the, the water carrier for Ronaldo for so many years and, and has now actually kind of stepped out of his shadow a little bit and we can see Karim Benzema can be both that assister and can be that ruthless attacker as well So Did you see Mbappe's assist last night for Messi? I didn't actually know so oh, maybe Go back and have a look BT Sport have got up in their Twitter uh, so PSG were playing Lance off the back of PSG's very indifferent form mm-hmm. and at one point Messi plays the ball into Mbappe and your automatic reaction is he's going to spin and take a shot. Yeah. Instead, he played a back heel reverse pass to Messi who scored from the ball going through. It was right. one of the most beautiful assists you'll see all week. Amory, we've got our focus though on Arsenal trying to close that gap, or sorry, trying to extend their gap after a City cut it back to three points yesterday. Arsenal obviously exclusively now thinking about the Premier League title and uh, we'll get the team news from a minute as well. But this is a big game for Arsenal away to West Ham. Yeah, they once again have the opportunity, Will, to go six points clear at the top of that Premier League table. They make the trip across London to take on West Ham in the early game. Stephen Doyle and Brian Carr are on commentary for that here on News Talk. The hosts go into the game at the London Stadium just three points off relegation and Stephen is here with Team News. Stephen, Arsenal have been particularly impressive in London derbies over the course of this season and they comfortably won this game when they met on St. Stephen's Day 3-1. West Ham only went ahead because of a penalty after about a half an hour. Do you see any chance of an upset here? Oh, I have to say I, I don't think so because... Um, 
I think it's the kind of game that West Ham will really struggle in. We saw them against Newcastle United just uh, 11 days ago, losing by five goals to one after a couple of early goals. They pulled them back just before half-time. Um, but I think if uh, if Arsenal are to get in front early here, and they do tend to start games really quick and uh, really pacey, as they did last week on the game we covered on off the ball against Liverpool, of course, uh, the Reds fought back to get a 2-2 draw in that game. They were very impressive. But I don't think West Ham have the type of experience banked as Liverpool would to fight back in a game like that. And uh, they were, of course, in action on Thursday night against Ghent in the Europa Conference League. And I think that's a tournament that David Moyes really needs to win to give him any chance of being in the dugout for the first game of next season. There's a lot of unrest around the London Stadium from West Ham supporters. There seems to be a bit of a divide there. Some fans who think that he should go before the end of the season, but other fans think that he should at least be given until the end of the season. But I think fans are starting to get restless around West Ham. They'd like to see a change. And they still aren't safe from relegation, as you've alluded to already. And in this particular fixture, West Ham, of the last 31 meetings with Arsenal in all competitions... They've only won twice, and that's a really poor record. And, of course, Arsenal, throughout that period of games, would have gone through their own struggles as well. So it's not really a great record coming into the game like this. And the weather's good, the sun is out, and I think it's the type of game that Arsenal uh, players will be relishing, and they'll try to stay in form ahead of that game against Manchester City. But uh, I can tell you as well, Anne-Marie, um, the team changes. There's been a lot in the West Ham team. It is the guts of the team that played against Fulham a couple of weeks ago. They beat them by a goal to nil, thanks to an OG. But uh, there's eight changes from the side that started against Ghent on Thursday night in the Europa Conference League. Uh, Fabianski comes back in goal instead of Ariola. There's three changes in the back four. Tilo Kera comes in. Kurt Zoom and Aaron Cresswell dropping out are Ogbonna, Ogbonna uh, Aguerd and Johnson. Johnson, the only one there making the bench for them. Uh, Downs drops out of midfield. He's replaced by Socek. And as Pakita back from injury, he replaces Manuel Lanzini while Saeed Benrama comes in for Emerson and it's Antonio replacing Danny Ings. So the West Ham team from back to front, it's Ariola and goal, it's Tufal and Cresswell as the two full backs in centre half. It's Kerer and Zuma with uh, Socek and Rice as the two holding midfielders and then it's Bowen, Pakita, Benrama just uh, playing behind Antonio, the league strike, lead strikers. The first start for Tilo Kerr, I should say as well, since that 5-1 defeat to Newcastle. I'm sure he'll want to make amends for a performance on that afternoon. The Arsenal team, well look, you can almost pick this one yourself, but there is one big line coming out of the Arsenal starting eleven. Zinchenko has been left out. Uh, the regular left back apparently has a tight groin, so as a precaution, he's been left out of this match. And coming in is the quite capable Kieran Tierney. I thought he had a magnificent game for Arsenal coming off the bench at Anfield last week and uh, showing that brilliant attacking threat that he really does offer and perhaps just uh, a little bit unfair in him that Zinchenko's playing so well because he will be a first start a first choice for any team in the Premier League you would imagine so the Arsenal team then it's Ramsdale in goal a back four of White holding Gabriel and Kieran Tierney midfield three of Odegaard Partey and Chaka. And then up front is that familiar trio of Saka, Gabriel Jesus and Martinelli. Martinelli and Jesus, of course, getting the goals against Liverpool at Anfield last Sunday. I know you saw them very close uh, yourself, Amory. 
Yeah, thanks for that, Stephen. So commentary of that game here on the programme at two o'clock at half past four. Then Strugglers Nottingham Forest host Manchester United. That's the main game of the day. Nathan Murphy and Kenny Cunningham will be on commentary for that. Forest go into the game in the relegation zone, but a win would lift them out of it. Three points then for United would see them go third after Newcastle lost yesterday. They will be without centre-backs Rafael Varane and Lissandra Martinez, who miss out through injury as well as leading goal scorer Marcus Rashford. That means Eric Den Haag is likely to go with Martial up front. With United still left in three competitions, their squad is looking quite stretched at this stage. Speaking after their two-all draw with Sevilla in the Europa League during the week, Den Haag was specifically asked about Martial. We have depth in the squad. We have to use the squad. So that's also what we did yesterday. Um, yeah, in the meantime, you have to win games. So also, you need a tactical approach uh, to uh, to win the games. But I think, yeah, we have we have good players, and when we have problems, so injuries, suspension, yeah, we have depth in the squad. With Martial having played so well last night, have you got an idea of when he will be able to complete ninety minutes? Because it has been a while since he finished a game. Um, so maybe he can, but yeah, it's it's a risk and. Uh, we can't we, we can't take that risk in this moment because we don't have so many options in the front line uh, with uh, Resford injured with Garnacho injured um, so yeah we don't have so many options there um, so yeah we have to, we have to be careful and also in individual prospect uh, that you we know when there's coming a lot of load yeah then he gets injured so uh, we have to build it. And especially uh, when the games coming quick after each other, and the recovery time is less, uh, we have to take that also in mind. Yeah, we have to manage that very, very good and very careful. Yeah, and I wonder. We're trying to keep tracing on the football kickoff on Friday. Whether this conversation about who starts up front today becomes different if Manchester United don't score two late on goals against Sevilla on Thursday, because mm. with the competitions that we have mentioned, the FA Cup semi-finals next week, having to go to Seville on Thursday a lot of pressure on the squad in a very short period of time where he would have loved to have made changes and then you add in Martinez and Varane are likely to play for the rest of the season Rashford we're not sure how long he's going to be out for there is the option of putting Veghorst up front today or maybe playing Sabister a bit further forward like he did in a kind of a roaming role on Thursday it'd be a bit risky to put Martial potentially out for full two ninety minutes in a row here given the fact that he has picked up so many injuries in the last year yeah, it is a, a difficult situation, I suppose, for Ten Hag. But you look at this United side, and I think Sabitzer coming on, you know, he wouldn't really have been known as a massive goal scorer. And then, you know, two really well-taken goals during the week as well. So I don't think goal scoring is going to be Manchester United's problem. It is the other end of the pitch and, and missing massive players in, you know, Varane and Martinez not being there. So I think... Are you trying to say there's not full faith in Harry Maguire? <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't have full faith in him, but I wouldn't be a Manchester United fan either. So maybe I would actually put my full faith in him as well. Well, uh, no, I, I definitely think that when you see that, um, you know, Casemiro is obviously coming back into the fold, uh, we should start to see um, Ericsson starting to get a bit more of a foothold in this team as well. I do think that there is probably going to be enough um, coverage there for, for United going forward. And, you know, it was kind of crazy to see that Anthony Alanga was playing a role during the week. I'd completely forgotten that he was a player at Manchester United. And, you know, maybe if, if some of those players can start stepping up and scoring those goals, it would take the pressure off Martial because he's never been somebody that's absolutely going to lead the line and, and going to be scoring, you know, five goals in seven weeks or anything like that. So uh, they will have enough goals coming from elsewhere. I think it is the other end of the pitch where they are going to struggle a little bit. Yeah, I fancy Forrest to do something here. 
Why so? I don't know. I just have a weird feeling. I think all the pressure is on United and it's so messy now for their run-in to not know his best 11 and to be so overstretched. He shouldn't have targeted all four competitions in his first season. I think that was a bad call by Den Haag and I just think it's so messy and I just have, would have no faith in Maguire in, in that centre-half position. After, especially after Thursday night, his confidence will be even further shot than it has been in recent times. Hmm. Well, the city ground has been a difficult place for teams to go uh, from the top of the table. Can this you year. imagine the atmosphere as well? The crowd will be up the mm. f- first mm. time they've been there since '89, the main game of the weekend. The crowd will be up. The atmosphere will be hot. I don't know. I just have a feeling. I got a feeling on Thursday night after that Sevilla game that Forest were going to do something. Now you might play this back at quarter past no, six. You've heard, you've heard it first. <laughs> I love egg on my face. I just have a feeling. I just think it's very messy what's going on at United. Den Haag as well didn't look happy in his press conference. He's just quick answers getting it out of the way didn't look comfortable didn't look positive about the game Evan Ferguson Amory a collective sigh around the country mm. at half past three yesterday and Evan Ferguson will miss Brighton's FA Cup quarter final against Man- or semi-final against Manchester United which is next weekend the 18 year old Bettystown native would have made his Wembley debut had he featured in the game he went off injured with an ankle injury yesterday that was as the Seagulls beat Chelsea 2-1 in the Premier League his manager Roberto De Zerbi said afterwards that he thinks he'll be out for a couple of weeks. Shame, as Ferguson had made a really good start to the game. Yeah, that is a real pity. Brighton played really well. Again, maybe more pressure onto Chelsea and their interim boss, Frank Lampard, as they get ready to play Real Madrid midweek. They were, for the best part, played off the pitch uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, but the good news from an Irish perspective is that Evan Ferguson should be fine for the games uh, later this summer when we take on yeah, Greece yeah, and the Netherlands. Yeah, be long back by June, yeah. But at the same time, it's a pity when he was in such good form as well. Um, Aston Villa, Chelsea in the Women's Super League as well? Yeah, that's the second of this season's Women's FA Cup semi-finals that kicks off at a quarter past two. Chelsea of course the defending champions and the winner of that will play Manchester United in the decider. That's after they beat Brighton yesterday. Champions Celtic meanwhile lead Kilmarnock 4-1 away from home. That's after an hour of play in the Scottish Premiership. A win here for Ange Postacoglu's side which it looks like they're on the way to. We'll see them once again go 12 points clear at the top of the table. One game here at home then in the Premier Division of the SSE Airtricity League Dundalk host Derry from three and a win for the visitors at Oriel Park would see them go second just three points off leaders bows. Yeah Matt O'Reilly scored two of those goals for Celtic for Hashi giving them the lead he's missed a penalty as well but 4-1 up early in the second half Um, also a lot of fallout from the Grand National Emory. The British Racehorsing Authority has defended its record on animal welfare after three horses died during this year's Aintree Festival. The sporting body says it works tirelessly to improve safety and reduce risk. A total of 118 people were arrested as animal rights campaigners disrupted yesterday's Grand National calling for the annual contest to be banned. The 81 favourite Carrick Rambler won the race for Lucinda Russell with jockey Derek Fox on board. He said afterwards that the disruption wasn't ideal. Today's racing, meanwhile, is from the Curra and Tremor. An eight race card at the Curra gets underway at 25 past one, while the first of seven races in Tremor goes to post at 22 2. 
Leighton, we had about three or four days of discussion about this before the entry Grand National itself. Then obviously we ended up with quite a bit of reaction from it. Principally, I think AP McCoy's comments picked up uh, in all of the newspapers saying ITV Racing pretty much directly after the race. As Amory mentioned, um, Sligo man Derek Fox was speaking about how it was far from ideal. The horses could have been spooked just before they went out um, because of the protesters going onto the track itself and trying to glue themselves in some cases to the fences. What's your take on what happened around five o'clock at entry yesterday? I think it is very interesting just looking through some of the coverage in the papers today um, a lot of the papers are actually quite united there there generally would be a kind of a back and forth on this a little bit in the papers and I think there is a little bit in the more front end of the papers in the kind of news sections they are a bit more this is what the protest is about maybe they had a bit of a point but the, the back pages have been very much staunchly no AP McCoy they've kind of led with most of his comments because he is such a legend of the game and he did come out quite strongly on the ITV coverage um, I think that idea that maybe the horses were spooked a little bit has been borne out by the facts a little bit I think it was nine fallers at the first hurdle and generally there would be kind of two or three and look it is a dangerous race we know that plenty of horses have been killed uh, during the famous race over the years but there is a bit of evidence there to suggest that you know you even saw some of the horses before they were lining up they were a bit kind of jittery um, they were kind of bashing into each other I think it was Vanillier was basically roaming around on its own uh, seconds before the actual start of the race so uh, there is there is a sense of you know maybe these people these protesters may have had you know some good in their heart when they were trying to get this protest on the way but there has been a suggestion that maybe it has been misplaced and actually some of the horses might have um, might have suffered because of this protest the stats on the horses passing away after the race it's 16 since 2000 uh, three yesterday hill 16 dark raven envoy special hill 16 died afterwards after a fall at the first and you're looking at 16 horses that have died at the Entry Racing Festival since 2000 as well. And there was two last year in the Grand National. Amri, what was your take on everything that went on? Yeah, further to what Aidan said there um, in relation to the effect that the delay possibly could have had on horses yesterday. Just some information. So in the nine renewals of the Grand National since fence modifications were made, fallers or unseats over the first two fences were zero, two, three, three, two, 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 one and two. So that's seventeen in total in the last nine years. And then yesterday eight. And if anybody watched that race keenly, it was pretty hectic and there was a sense of carnage until about a mile into it. And particularly at the first fence, there was a sense that a lot of those horses were spooked. And it's not something to be kind of brushed away. Like it's really serious to spook an animal that runs at 30 miles an hour with someone on top of them. And when an animal gets into an agitated state, it's very difficult to get them back. And their day would have been primed to the minute in relation to how the race goes. So to spook them like that is just really dangerous. And these people, they might have animal welfare at the forefront of their mind and that perhaps, and everyone's entitled to that, but it perhaps could have been done in a more responsible fashion that rather than what happened yesterday. And I think AP McCoy hit the nail on the head saying that they were attention seekers because there was a sense of that and it felt to me like they weren't particularly educated in relation to racing. Like I'd love to know how many of those have been racing or have perhaps been to a yard and have actually educated themselves in relation to horse racing because there isn't, in my mind, uh, an animal welfare risk when it comes to horse racing. These horses are 
cared for better than an awful lot of like it's just I think it's an insult to stable staff to say that they're not cared for properly and the the um death of Hill 16 yesterday felt particularly like it could have been avoided because his owners have come out afterwards and said that prior to the race he had 27 outings over jumps and during those contests he cleared 398 hurdles and fences without falling once and the one time he was unseated was yesterday and they felt that came from him being badly hampered his build up to the race um, so that he wasn't in ideal condition going into the race and they said that he was a very sound jumper and they feel just one variable was different with yesterday's race. Now, there's no conclusive evidence to Mm. fully prove that and we can only go off what his owners say there. But it felt yesterday that the protest didn't provide any positives. Like, what positives did we get out of it? Protesters will say it's focused a light on the race and also on the conditions of horses that basically everyone has to talk about it now because they've seen the protest and the protest is now running through the coverage in a very different way where if you would have opened up the papers or flicked the TV on this morning it would have been about Horse X has won the Grand National as opposed to now it's talking an awful lot about the protest. They will say that's the ultimate aim. But we've seen from stats and evidence that's come out in the last number of years since things were changed in the Grand National welfare has only improved Protesters will argue one dead horse is too many that, literally that is I think the quote that came in this morning in uh, quite a few of the dispatches from animal rights groups about yesterday They, they this is the thing for them if whip rules are brought in if the fences are made lower if any type of change has happened that's not going to be enough for those who are on the complete extreme who would like to see horse racing banned entirely. Okay, and they are entitled to protest and they are indeed entitled to hold their views, but it felt like yesterday could have been handled better and it did feel that we had a casualty at that first uh, hurdle because of what happened in the build-up to the race. Let's go for the race for Sam and the race for the Anglo-Celts. We've got two of the big teams who are out in one side of the draw in a quarterfinal today. Oma plays host to Tyrone and Monaghan. Yeah, Ulster heavyweights Tyrone and Monaghan meet in Oma in their provisional senior football championship quarterfinal this afternoon. That throws in at four o'clock at Healy Park. The winner will face Derry in the semi-final. That's after defending champ- the defending champions comfortably beat Fermanagh 3-17 to 2-8 at Brewster Park yesterday. So 12 points in the difference. They led by 10 at half time. Shane McGuigan scored two of those goals for Rory Gallagher's side. One from the penalty spot with Paul Cassidy also finding the back of the net. Derry manager Gallagher said afterwards it was the perfect way to begin the defence of their provincial crown. It's nice to start it off with a win no matter what and I suppose look you're playing a team you're expected to beat you just want to come in and out and get the job done and you know it was good to I suppose, have it done you know fairly early and you know, in half time it was effectively over. So we wanted to hit the ground running I suppose Fermanagh would have liked to hang in the game for as long as possible and they wanted to make it difficult for us but, but thankfully I thought we attacked really well early on and we were clinical in our, in our chances you know mm-hmm. the goals are good you know and Shane finished his brilliantly so he did and Paul probably um, rode his luck a wee bit but he went with the intent of getting it you know and we looked like opening them up a lot probably Shane got another one before half time but Look, it was just a really strong position to be in at half time, and you're able to kind of you know, take the you know, foot off the gas a small bit. Yeah, Derry very impressive yesterday. That will be a semi final, Derry against the winners of today's game uh, between Tyrone and Monaghan. We've also got the Camogie League final, Emery. 
That's right. Cork and Holders Galway meet in the very Camogie League Division 1A final this afternoon. That's a repeat of last year's decider. That gets underway at Croke Park at 10 to 2. Meanwhile, there's one game in the TikTok Women's Six Nations this afternoon. France can take a major step towards a Grand Slam decider if they make it three wins from three against Scotland. That kicks off at a quarter past three. Ireland endured another difficult day yesterday with their third consecutive loss. Greg McWilliams' side suffered a 24-7 defeat to Italy in Parma. Ireland face holders England at Musgrave Park next week. Okay, and the URC then, uh, big wins for the provinces. They've all put themselves into fairly good positions for the playoffs at this stage and Leinster's surprise win against the Lions may well have opened the door for Connacht or Munster to get into the Champions Cup for next year, but uh, a sweeping win across the board yesterday, Emery. Yes, Connacht beat Cardiff 38-19 last night at the sports ground. Really impressive from them and that gave their Champions Cup qualification hopes a boost. The Western Province sit sixth in the table after that bonus point win and they faced Glasgow next weekend. Munster, meanwhile, booked their place in the playoffs. They stunned the Stormers 26-24 in Cape Town. I don't think many people saw that coming. And Sam Prendergast scored a last gasp penalty on his debut as Leinster saw off the Emirates Lions 39-36 in Johannesburg to remain top of the table and unbeatable really. Yeah, that guarantees no Welsh team will finish in the top eight, Aidan, but there'll be a Welsh Shield final which will determine a place in the Champions Cup. And I'm sure we're all delighted and looking forward to it as well. What an insane system. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It is one of the craziest competitions around. And and even when you look at that game yesterday, I mean, Leinster should have been beaten out the gate. And yet somehow, uh, I have a Leinster supporting friend and he was just texting me the whole way through, just laughing, just laughing at how (laughs) You said that almost like a caveat. It's like, I know this guy who supports Leinster. I shouldn't (laughs) admit to it, but I know one. (laughs) But he was just laughing the whole way through about how ludicrous it is that Leinster can send, what is it, their fifth string team you know Sam Prendergast obviously a, a fantastic player and definitely a player for the future but you know making his, his debut down in South Africa in a totally unique environment and yet you know he just looks so calm and collected and slots over that winning kick and you know it's just is there any chance that Leinster can be beaten and I mean we will see it maybe in the Champions Cup where you know the standard is going to be higher and we will see the best of the best coming up in that tournament but just just a crazy system really isn't it uh, what was particularly crazy is that Leinster were watching a whole lot of their frontline players be renewed and in the case of Josh van der Fleer finally getting a central contract and James Ryan had extended by a couple of days and then there was the news about James Lowe and Ronan Kelleher and it was dripping all week really good news for Leinster still this kind of cloud over what's going to happen around Stuart Lancaster and then ah just gets out Africa's head coach after the World Cup and Jack Neenarber, a guy who was seen as a defensive guru when he was at Munster, will just come in and, you know, fill up the coaching team for next year. And then after that game, about two hours after that news, they beat the Lions. Sam Prendergast gets man the match in his first ever start for Leinster. So they can do no wrong as things stand, but Toulouse still stand in the way. But Leinster's win is a big help for both Munster and Connacht. The Munster doing it um, by their own steam, by being the Stormers 26-24, which is a great result after some adversity for Munster, shipping 40-40 and 50 in recent weeks. Uh, to turn around when really required to get a result that's a really big one for them um, the golf Amory it's the RBC Heritage the the traditional week after the Masters tournament Shane Lowry is 14 shots off the lead ahead of his final round of the RBC Heritage in South Carolina that's after he shot a three over par third round of 74 last night England's Matt Fitzpatrick leads the chasing pack by a single shot he's on 14 under par and lastly Will there is 
snooker on at the moment. Obviously, we're into a world championship season and China's Ding Zhanwei leads Iranian Hossein Vafai four frames to three in their first round match in Sheffield. The first to ten frames will advance to the next round. Earlier on, Stuart Bingham beat fellow Englishman David Gilbert ten frames to four. Thanks, folks. Uh, coming up very soon, we've got commentary from West Ham against Arsenal. As Stephen mentioned, West Ham's home record is appalling against Arsenal. Over the last 31 meetings, they've won just two. And David Moyes has taken just one point from a possible 18 in his matches against Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. We'll be previewing the game with Brian Kerr after this short break.